You're listening to the Crossroads Grace Podcast, a podcast of Crossroads Grace Community Church. To learn more about our gathering times and ways you can get involved, check out our website at crossroadsgrace.org. Well, welcome again to Crossroads. If you snuck in late, if you tuned in a little bit late, my name is Pastor Brian. I'm the lead pastor here. So glad that you're with us here today. And our mission statement is this, is that we, lead, we live to, to exist, to, to lead people, to discover Jesus and follow him fully. So any way that we possibly can help you do that, we're here for you. Chat hosts, we're here for you. We want to make sure that uh, we can connect you any way that we possibly can uh, here at Crossroads. So again, uh, thank you for being with us here today, especially this Labor Day weekend. But if you've been coming for a while, or maybe if you haven't come for a while, I just want to let you know that we're, we're really intentional about the things that we do here. And one of the things that we've been trying to do, and you may have noticed, but maybe have not noticed, is that we've been trying to show throughout this year what it looks like to follow Jesus in all areas of our life. And we've covered all kinds of different series with that, the essentials and why church and front lines, looking at the book of James. And we just got done with a series that's called Conversations and How Do We Share Our Faith. And the whole idea is that being a follower of Jesus doesn't just stop with the head knowledge, awareness of who Christian, who, what being Christian is all about. It requires that we actually do something with what we know and apply it into our life. And that begins actually by knowing that we were first chosen, that we were, we were loved by God deeply, 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 and that he chooses us despite all the things that we've done, all of our mistakes, all of our mess-ups. And as we embrace this idea, embrace this idea that we have been chosen, we receive God's love, we are then called to give that to other people as well, which is exactly what the series is all about. It's it's called Chosen, and it's going to be an exciting four-week series as we actually are going to be partnering with World Vision for the next four weeks. And you are not going to want to miss any one of these weeks. So that means if you're a guest today, you need to come back next week. You need to tune in. You need to whatever it takes. We want you to join us for the next four weeks because chosen is the next step in understanding how we fully follow Jesus in our life. To see the world, how he sees it, and to step into places where he would step into. And my prayer for this series is is really specific. My prayer is that it would transform those people that call themselves Christians. It would transform us. That it would draw people that are far from God back to him. It would allow the church to be the hands and feet of Jesus as we were called to be. And my deepest, deepest desire is that we could all embrace and understand what it means to be chosen. So to begin with this, I just want to share a story with you about when I used to play baseball at the University of Nebraska. I've shared it before that I played professionally and I also played at the University of Nebraska. But what I didn't share with you is how I got on that team, how I got to be played for the Division I University of Nebraska. Now, uh, the, 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 it's, they're called the Cornhuskers. They recently beat Fordham yesterday in college football. So yes, we got Fordham. I don't even know, but we won. So we got that game. But, but the Division I baseball program it was, is kind of one of those programs that it's, it's really tough to be a part of. And I was a unique add-on to that team because I wasn't recruited in the way that you normally think of recruiting, where they give you a scholarship, they come on, they say, hey, we want you to be a part of our team. I was what was called a recruited walk-on, which basically meant that the coach knew I was coming. Not that anything, I wasn't anything special. They just knew I was going to be there because they held an open tryout for everybody on campus. Anybody could come and do a walk-on tryout, and uh, that was where I was at. So 
And I came into the dugout that day. 50 or 60 other guys were there. They're all wanting the same thing. They want to try out. They want to be part of the team. The manager comes up out of the clubhouse. He comes and talks to all 50, 60 of us that were there. He looks every single one of us in the eye, and he says this. He says, I don't need any of you. I don't need any of you. I got 25 guys in that clubhouse right now that I've gone to their, their, I've gone to their terrible baseball games. I've, I've eaten their mom's terrible food, listened to their, their dad's terrible jokes, and I have been in their terrible towns. Like, I've gone through all of that in order to recruit them to come, and I'm exhausted. I've got 25 guys. I don't need any one of you right now. But if you want to still try out, let's go. He says, take the field. I'm like, wow, that was a pep talk. That was awesome, you know. I don't need you, but good luck is what it was. So for the next two days, we tried out. And at the end of those two days, there was 60 guys that tried out. There was two guys that were left standing, Robbie Butler and myself. Robbie got hurt, and I ended up being the only one out of 60 to be able to make the University of Nebraska Cornhuskers. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, right. But what's interesting is inside I was applauding. I'm like, yes, I made it. But it it became very clear that I wasn't 100% there yet when I went to practice the next day. So I went to practice the next day. I came in. I kind of asked the coach. I'm like, hey, coach, where, uh, where do you want me to put my stuff? You know, because I had my bat bag and my catcher's gear and the whole nine yards. And he says, right over there. I was like, what do you mean right over there? He goes, right over there. So I look over there. And sure enough, right by the water cooler, I had a stool. That was it. That was it. I had a, I had a stool and a water cooler. And in real estate, they always say that it's location, 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 right? So I had a stool by the water cooler, but it was right next door to the bathroom and the showers. Ooh, yeah. Very swanky. Yeah, very sought after spot. But that was where my locker was at. But they didn't like all my gear there, so they made me carry my gear from the stool all the way home and then back and forth and back and forth every day. Exhausting. I look like Santa Claus every day, bringing myself back and forth to Harper, Shram, and Smith at, in Lincoln, Nebraska. Well, one day I came into practice and, and something was different. And I noticed that my stool was gone. It was just gone, okay? So I realized at that moment the jig was up. So I went in, I knocked on my, my coach's door, I walked in. I'm like, hey, Coach Sanders, I just uh, man, really appreciate the chance to be able to play on the team. Thanks for the opportunity and everything. He goes, Hunt, what are you talking about? I said, we. You took my stool. My stool is gone. He says, I didn't cut you, man. I, I, go back down to the locker. You're sharing a locker with Scott Orrit. I was like, oh my gosh. So I went down and I looked, and sure enough, there was Scott Orrit's plastic nameplate, Orrit, and his number right next to it. And then right to the left of it was a piece of athletic tape with my name handwritten in Sharpie next to it. It was gorgeous. It was beautiful, right? I had a third of a locker. Because Scott wasn't going to give me half. He's like, you get a third, big boy, so I could fit a baseball and a hanger. But it was amazing, okay? Still lugging my stuff back and forth in the North Pole every day, you know, but still I had a third of a locker. Kept working, kept battling. A couple of weeks later, I go into the locker room and I notice my tape was gone. Oh, man, okay. So I walk, I knock on the manager's door, I come into the office, I'm like, hey, coach, I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks so much for giving me the chance. He goes, Hunt, if you come in my office again, I will cut you, right? And I don't think he meant off the team. I think the man was going to cut me. I think we were going straight shanking at that point. He goes, get down in the locker room. You have your own locker. It's like, what? So I was like, I ran down. I don't know if I had clothes on. I don't know. Like I ran down and sure enough, I had my own stall and there at the top was this beauty. It said hunt and my number next to it. It was glorious, right? Woo! 
Oh, yes, indeed, because in that moment, I realized I had made it. I was chosen. And let's face it, we all want to be chosen. No one wants to be rejected by your friends. No no one wants to lose the job. No one wants to, to be isolated from your family. All of us want to make the team. We want to land the promotion. We want to feel accepted by those that we love. We, we all want that. But it can be really hard when you feel passed over, can't it? And it can be really hard when the world around us is so chaotic and everything, and you just feel like you're getting lost in the shuffle of everything that's happening. But yet time and time again, you see people that get chosen out of the woodwork, right? Just that you wouldn't expect. For instance, like, do you remember this guy? You guys say Tom Brady. Okay, Tom Brady, football starting today. And everybody, Tom Brady, he, he plays for the, the, the uh, Tampa Bay Bucks, but he was actually drafted by the New England Patriots, but he was the 199th pick. There were six other quarterbacks that were selected ahead of him, and now he is considered arguably one of the best quarterbacks of all time, whether you are willing to say it or not. He is one of the best of all time. 199th pick, and now he's the best. How about, how about this one? Remember this guy? Right, MJ, Michael Jordan, hello. I don't care what you LeBron schmom you're going to say. That's the greatest basketball player of all time. Can I get an amen from anybody here? Give me a little love, right? Give me some love online. MJ, did you know, though, greatest basketball player of all time was cut his sophomore year of high school basketball? Yeah, how'd you like to be that coach known for that? It's the only reason you're known, you know? You cut the greatest. Way to go, bud. But how about this one? This is an interesting one. This, this, is, this is Penny Olewski, I think is how you pronounce it. But she is a Canadian swimmer. In, uh, in the Olympics, you can see she just recently won Olympic gold medal. One day she actually Googled uh, the most decorated Olympian athlete in all of Canada's history, and her name popped up. She's the most decorated Olympian in all of Canada's history. And what was interesting is that she said in that moment when she realized that, she says, I want to thank my 10th grade, uh, 10th grade teacher that told me to quit swimming and concentrate on education because I would never amount to anything in swimming. And she says, hey, thanks for the motivation. Appreciate that, right? One more for you. How about this one? Aladdin. You know what I'm saying? Peasant boy bumps into a girl, rubs a lamp. Next thing you know, prince, hello, you know? Out of nowhere, these things happen. These are these obscure discoveries that happen all around us that keep people making YouTube videos. It, it keeps people shooting baskets in their backyard. It keeps people from, it, it makes people join singing competitions like The Voice and American Idol. It's a chance to be discovered. It's a chance to be chosen that lives deep within us. But what's really endearing about all these situations, Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, anybody that we've talked about, is that you, you didn't see it coming. Tom didn't know he was going to be the greatest, greatest uh, football player of all time. Michael didn't know when he was cut as a sophomore he was going to be the greatest basketball player of all time, right? We didn't know that. No, it was, a, it was a bit of a wonder that it actually happened. It was unexpected that it happened. Except what's interesting is that they didn't give up. They didn't stop singing. They didn't stop playing. They didn't stop writing or anything like that. But... But how many people do stop singing, stop writing, stop playing, stop whatever? At the littlest of challenge, the little of, of rejection in their lives, they start to think like, ah, wasn't meant to be. Nah, too much, too much hard work. Yeah, it's not worth it anymore. I mean, who knows how many authors, how many doctors, musicians, engineers, athletes, on and on and on, we will never know about because they gave up or they never were discovered. But what about us spiritually? 
We turn, turn, the, turn our eyes towards our spiritual life. What, what happens when we start to believe that we aren't good enough for God? That our past is way too checkered for God to love us? Or that we don't, maybe, maybe some of you think this way, I don't really need God. Like, I'm, I'm a good person. I think I can good my way through life. I don't really need God. I'm just going to cover this thing, cover things on my own. And it's in those moments of, of self-doubt or uncertainty or maybe, maybe self-pride that we turn away from God and we say, you know what, God's for other people. I don't need to believe in him. He's just for other people. That God has chosen other people, but he would never choose me. And when that happens, we lose sight of what God actually says in his word. We, we lose sight of what God says is true and good. In fact, God would say this through Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 9. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you, were not, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. But maybe you're like me, but I'm guessing that when you read this scripture, not very many of you feel very royal these days. I mean, I know for me, like, there, the only thing royal about me is I'm a royal screw-up. That's the only thing that's royal about me. Because we find ourselves embarrassed, don't we? Confused and conflicted. And, and, and there's no part of that that seems royal to us. But in those moments, I'm reminded of something. When I start to feel that way, I'm reminded of a quote from a, from a former pastor and an author, Tulian Chavidian. Tulian once said, he says, God's ability to clean things up is infinitely greater than our ability to mess things up. That's good to remember. Somebody needed that today. I, I need that reminder in my dark moments of feeling lost and insignificant and unvalued because of the sin in my life. But when it comes to God, the way that he calls, the way that he chooses, has a way of kind of defying what the world would say is worthy and unworthy or even royal. He, he has a way of seeing us differently than we see ourselves. And, and so today, I really want you to think about this one idea as we walk through today's message. One idea is this, is that God chooses the least of these when they least expect it. Keep that in your mind, that God chooses the least of these when they least expect it. So this means that if you came in here discouraged, defeated, deflated, even depressed, you're in really good company. You're in really good company and that God might be in the process of calling you to something bigger than yourself right now, which is exactly what we're going to actually look at today in the story we're going to cover. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd love for you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel 16 is where we'll be at. You can open your Crossroads Grace apps. Those are free. All, the, uh, all this text is going to be there. You can email yourself notes. Online host, if you would be kind enough to put that link in there for me right now. 1 Samuel chapter 16. And let's start by reading in verse 1. You can catch up in just a moment. Verse 1 says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. All right, 
So to be fair, right now, I'm guessing that probably people are like, what in the world's happening? Like if you're not familiar with your Bible, maybe you're new to church or new to the Christian thing, like I get it, you're probably like, it's like me dropping you in the middle of the Harry Potter series and saying, hey, who's Harry, who's Dumbledore, and is Snape good or bad? Like that's basically what I just did to you right now because there's so many things that we need to fill the gaps in. So let me help you with this. First of all, let's talk about this. Who's this guy? Who's Samuel? Now, Samuel's an interesting guy, and it actually, his, what his name means gives a little bit away as far as who, who he, what he's about. His name means heard of God or asked of God. Uh, that, that's what his name means, heard of God and asked for God, and those descriptions really fill in who he is. Samuel was born to a young lady by the name of Hannah who really couldn't have kids. She was barren. She prayed to God one day and, and said, God, uh, if you will give me a child, I will, I will give him back to you into, this, into your service for the rest of his days if you give me a child. The Lord blesses her, gives her a child. She names him Samuel, which explains the asked of God part of his name. And Samuel actually did, in fact, go to work for God in, for the service for the rest of his life. He was both a judge and a prophet and was the last judge that the Old Testament had, as you'll see in just a moment. And as a judge, he stood as, uh, to lead the people of, of Israel by direct revelation from God, which explains the heard from God part of his name. So asked for God because of his mom, heard from God because he's a judge and a prophet. And the people uh, would listen to him because he was the one leading. God was leading through the judge who was Samuel, and that was how the people were led. They were led directly by God. Well, the people of God didn't like that. After a while, they got sick of having judges and God tell them what to do because the other nations around them were being led by kings and they wanted a king too. They were basically whiners like, I want a king, mm, right? That's basically what the people of Israel sounded like. Just give me a king. And apparently peer pressure was as much a thing as it was today. But instead of people wanting to wear Air Jordans and Lululemon yoga pants, right? They wanted a king like everybody else. Personally, I would rather wear Lulo Mon Capri pants than have a dictator tell me what to do, but that's just me, and you're welcome for that image. Okay, so, so, so God actually let them have what they wanted. He says, you want a king? I'll give you a king. And so the king that he gave them was a man by the name of Saul. So Samuel and Saul were somewhat connected because Samuel was the last judge, the last leader. Saul was the first king. Now, this is where the story is just super cool, right? And there's so much that we could talk about here, like so stinking much we could talk about. But just know this, that Saul uh, looked the part. Like he looked like he was the best type of king you could ever imagine. 1 Samuel 9, 2 actually describes Saul for a second. It says, Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone else. Sounds like a GQ magazine, doesn't it? I mean, like, okay, all right, Saul, you're good looking. We get it. Well, Saul, he became a king. He had a pretty good run as he followed God. But at some point in his, in his, in his uh, leadership, in his kingship, he stopped following God, and God's spirit left him because he chose not to follow God anymore. But what we read here is interesting. What we read here is very interesting because that scripture before, it said that Samuel... Oh, go back for me if you would. Or go to the next one. Yeah, there we go. It said that Samuel was mourning Saul. He would mourn for Saul. Now, why would Samuel mourn Saul? Because Saul was very much alive, and also he was very much the king still. So, so what happened? Well, here's the interesting part. Since Saul is still king and Saul isn't dead yet, the reason Saul was mourning was because since Saul chose to stop following God, he fell out of favor with God, which made Samuel very, very sad. 
Because Samuel was the one who stood in front of the people, anointed this man as the king of Israel, and, and said, this is the guy you should follow. So when Saul, though, lost Samuel's like, endorsement, if you will, it created a tension between Saul and Samuel. Samuel was mourning for Saul, and Saul eventually hated Samuel because there was a tension. And the people still respected Samuel a lot, and Saul didn't like that. But here's something interesting I think we should consider right now. Just because God chose Saul to be the king, Saul eventually chose to stop following God in his life. And as a result of that, his life became a disaster. And that is really important for us to push pause on for a moment. That just because God has chosen you and loves you and, ha- and wants you to live a life to the full doesn't mean that it won't require effort from you and from me. It doesn't mean that we still can't, that we could still just do whatever we want. It doesn't mean that he will not ask us time after time after time to choose the right thing over the wrong thing, to choose him over the world time and time and time again in our life. So let me just kind of sum it up this way, that, that God chooses you, but you have to choose God. Like, you have to choose that. God chooses you, yes, but you have to choose God. God wants nothing more than for you and for me to follow him. It is his greatest desire, his greatest pleasure to see us following him and living our life to the full, but he won't force you to do it. We have, to, we have the choice to choose God. Really important to remember, you have the choice to choose God. But even though Saul lost favor with God, God didn't lose favor with his people. He still loved his people very much. And so he said, I'm going to give you a new king, a king that's actually after my own heart would be, was what the scripture would tell us. And that's where I think it's really interesting that you might have missed this as we read it before. But back in verse one again, it said that they're going to find this king in a certain place called Bethlehem. Now, maybe you've heard of this place before. It's a town six miles southwest of the city of Jerusalem a town that was obscure back then and is obscure today, but yet is the site of some of the most important moments in all of human history. Here, Bethlehem is going to be known for the next king of, the, of, king of Israel to be located and found. But soon after that, there's going to be a place, this will be the place where the king of kings and lord of lords, Jesus, is born into, it comes to earth. An insignificant town with a bunch of agrarian people everywhere, but yet was chosen to be the, 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 the birthplace of royalty all time and time again. Royalty came out of Bethlehem. But, but, but to have to get to Bethlehem, Sam, Samuel, in order to get there, he had to kind of go through some stuff. Because choosing the next king wasn't a thing that you announced to the city or to announce to the entire to the nation. No, no, it wasn't like that because it was a very dangerous thing. And so you actually had to be secreted of it, which is why when we read in 1 Samuel chapter 16, 2, it says, but Samuel said, how can I go to Bethlehem? This is, how can I go to Bethlehem? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Now, why would he try to kill him? Because I said Saul and Samuel were on the outs, that they weren't seeing eye to eye. Saul was paranoid that someone was going to try to steal his throne, and that included Samuel. So he saw everybody as an enemy. So when Samuel was trying to go to Bethlehem, all of a sudden the lights start going off, like this dude's going to try to take my throne. So Saul spies on everybody that was, everything was happening in his, in his nation, including Samuel. So as Samuel approaches Bethlehem to go into the city, there's kind of a checkpoint there, and a dangerous moment was created that potentially could cost Samuel his life. But God was there. He provided a way around the danger. Look again, finish of verse two. It says, the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. And when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. 
They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So what Samuel does is he takes a heifer with him to this checkpoint and he says, I'm going to go sacrifice to the Lord and I'm going to have a big old feast afterward. But this moment was more important than just this worship service and a barbecue that happened afterward. No, what happened is that God used himself to get in the way and get them around danger. God himself put himself between Samuel and the danger. How awesome is that? But by Samuel doing what God told him to do, by sacrificing to the Lord, by worshiping him, God protected his life. God put himself in harm's way. And I will tell you this right now. This is exactly what Jesus did for you and for me in our sins. He put himself between the sin of our life and the punishment that we deserve because of it by taking on the cross for you and for me. And that's pretty amazing. So guys, just think about this. We've read five verses so far, five verses. And yet in those five verses, there is tension, there is intrigue, there is action. I mean, there's a rogue king losing his mind and his religion, thinking everybody's trying to take his throne, so he's ready to kill everybody. The, the king sets up checkpoints to be able to check on everybody that's coming through and, 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 and worried that Samuel's going to come and steal his throne. And so as Samuel comes to this checkpoint, God provides a way around it and says, hey, you got to get around this. you got to go to this guy named Jesse's house. I'm going to tell you what the, the name of the new king is if you get to there. Guys, that's amazing. Like, you can even read this thing. This Bible's amazing. Right? It's got Mission Impossible and Jason Bourne and Mandalorian. Like, the whole thing's in here. you got to read it. If you're not, you're missing out. This thing is awesome. So when Samuel walks into Jesse's house, You'd have to think this guy is emotionally, physically, and spiritually drained. All that stuff would have happened. I mean, and I bet that he is hoping that God is going to make this, make, hoping that God would make this next part really easy. I mean, let's say the hard part's over, getting past Saul, getting around the checkpoint, all this. Hey, let's just choose this son and get up out of here. It's kind of what Samuel's thinking. That, that, that's why when we read in 1 Samuel 16, 6, it makes perfect sense. It says, when they arrived... Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands before, here before the Lord. Samuel's like, oh, dude, this is he. Check it out. We got the oldest son. His name's Eliab. It means God is my father. I got the Godfather. That's kind of fun. You know, he says he's, he's good looking. He's strong. He looks the part. Let's just roll with this guy, right? We're done here, baby. But before Samuel could break out the oil and start shooting it on everybody and everything and then go grab a quick nap, God has something to say. Look what he says in verse 7. He says in verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. Now you might not know this, but as a pastor, people tell me stuff. I mean, they, they give me all their opinions, all their thoughts, all the time. Believe me, this time of the pandemic and everything, I've, I've, I, I love it. Like, I love to hear people's thoughts. But y'all also have some things to say about me, and, and you love to tell me about me, let me just say, okay? So some of the things that people say, I've had people come up and say, you talk too fast, you need to slow down. And I say, okay. Right, you know, like, I don't know, I don't know, Right. I've had people come up to me, or, you know, or, or, or better yet, when I was trying out to be the pastor about six years ago, there's a guy that stopped me at the front right down here. 
He comes up, shakes my hand, older gentleman, shakes my hand, kind of pulls me in and says, hey, great job. I said, oh, thanks, I appreciate it. So I, you know, I released the hand, getting ready to go, and he went in for seconds, you know, like the, whoop, okay, all right, we're, we're, we're here. And he looks me in the eye and he says, he's got one question for you. You blue or you red? It's like, Jesus? Like, I don't know, right? I, I don't know, right? That, uh, this is another fun one. Um, I had somebody come up to me, um, this is past couple of months, uh, come up to me, uh, it comes up and says, hey, uh, hey, good sermon, good sermon. I, I graded you a, a C on that. <laughs> I'm not kidding, people. This is like, re- this is my life, all right? So I'm like, could I, could I see my homework? Like, where did I screw up? You know, like anyway, but yeah, it happens all the time. But here's the one that is interesting and it happens a lot of times. People will maybe see me in public. I love getting to see people in public. I'm an extrovert. I love it. Come up and say hi, right? So, so I, I, but I'll see people in public. I'll meet them and they'll be like, hey, Pastor Brian, how are you? It's so nice to meet you. We'll shake hands. And then they're smiling and all of a sudden their smile just like, like just, just like fades, you know? And I'm like, they're like discouraged. I'm disappointed. I'm like, is everything okay? Like, are you okay? Like, yeah. Just thought you'd be taller. Like, yeah. <laughs> I swear to you, this is my life, okay? I'm not even joking, okay? Because let's face it, right? We have an image of the people, right? That we, we think that certain roles that they're in, apparently some people are looking for someone that's not built for torque like I am, you know, as their pastor. But hey, I got news for you. You're stuck with me, people. <laughs> right, you know? Yeah, to those four people. Yeah, right? Okay. <laughs> but hey, here's the deal. It's the same thing for the king, basically, I guess. Right? Samuel's like, bingo, Iliab, looks like a king. That's it. And culture, that makes perfect sense. Firstborn was always the one that had all the power, all the prominence, was in line to receive all the, her- like the, in, in, in the inheritance. Everything was coming his way. So the, in the patriarchal culture that they were in, Iliab was like, ah, oh, no brainer. Iliab's a choice. But God says, not so fast, Super Sam. I, I, I choose a little differently, he tells Samuel. He says, I don't look at how tall they are. I don't care how much they make. I don't care how straight their teeth are or what, what they bench press or, or who they vote for or what team they root for, although I think they should. right? You know, I, I, God says, I don't look at any of that stuff. I don't choose based on any of that. Which is why Samuel, at this next part, has to feel like the bachelorette with a handful of roses to pass out as, like, Jesse's sons just keep passing by over and over. Like, look, look, look at this. Again, the Bible's awesome. It says, Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chose this one either. Jesse then had Shemah pass by. But Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So Samuel has to feel like those poor dudes that had to go house to house to try to have the glass slipper tried on by all those people. Do you remember that in Cinderella? You know, like how many nasty feet did those people have to like to try that thing on before Cindy's like, oh, look at me, and then put her foot in there. You know what I mean? Like that's what Samuel had to feel like. Seven sons pass by, and God says over and over and over, what does he say? He says, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Basically, next is what he's saying. He says, these are not the droids you're looking for. He says, these are not the ones. I know the world says that it makes sense for it to be them, but it's not. I haven't chosen them. So with all the chances, seemingly exhausted, I can understand why Samuel says this in verse 11. Again, the Bible's awesome. Verse 11 says this. It says, 
Verse 11 says, it says, I promise it says, where is the verse? Oh, yeah. It says, so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. <laughs> How about Jesse holding out on Samuel? I mean, come on. Come on, man. Sam says, is this, is this it? Like, you got anything else out around here or anything? And Jesse says, well, I mean, I, I, got, I got one in the back, I guess. You know, he's young. He's a shepherd. But I, I guess you could see him if you want. And Samuel's like, yeah, let's get that guy, okay? But let me point out something really quickly here. Isn't it funny we are, sometimes that we are just like Jesse, that we will be selective for God on who can and cannot be chosen by him? As if God needs our help or we're somehow the ultimate authority in all, all these things. And, and like I said earlier, sometimes what we'll do is we'll self-select ourselves out of being chosen by, used by God, chosen by God, because that we feel we're unworthy to be with him. But, but again, I'm going to bring you back over and over that God chooses the least of these when they least expect it. Which is exactly what we see happen when the least of these of the sons of Jesse, boy number eight, comes clomping into the house, covered in sheep poop, smelling all kinds of nasty, you know? And then we get to meet him. Look at verse 12. Verse 12, it says, So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Of all the people, David is the one that God chose to lead Israel. God saw his, saw his heart and saw that it beat for him. And so he chooses him from out of all the other sensical choices to lead this people. The least of these had a heart that was the closest to the father. And so he was the one that he chose to lead his people. And so as Samuel anointed David with the oil, just as he, is, as he had done Saul, he was now the future king of Israel. And he was chosen by God when the world would never have chosen him. And this continues to prove what Jesus says in Matthew 20, verse 16. When Jesus says this, he says, So the last will be first, and the first will be last. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. He would say, God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. This needs to tell you and me that no matter who you are, where you've been, what you're doing, what you're thinking, God is saying, I choose you. And, and listen to me today. You may feel like you are the least, like you are the last, but God is telling you anything but. He says you are chosen in his eyes. Not for anything that you've done, but for everything that he has done for you. You see, the very heart of this chosen series is realizing that we have been chosen by God to be his sons and his daughters through our faith in Jesus Christ. We are loved and we are seen as valuable despite what we might have done in this life. We are forgiven. We are seen as precious because of the price that Jesus paid for us on the cross. 
And might I have you think of this, that we are chosen not for what we see in ourselves, but for what God sees in us. We are chosen not by what we see in ourselves, but what God sees in us. And what he sees in us is his sons and his daughters. Because the only way that we are chosen is because Jesus chose the cross. The Bible says in Hebrews that there was a, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame. And the joy that was set before him was you and me. He chose the cross so that we could be chosen by him. It's amazing. Despite what you've done, he chose you and loves you. And so at communion, we get to remember that. We get to remember his love. We get to worship him. We get to connect with him. But then we get to actually then do something with what we know when we leave this, this building, when we log off online. We realize that as we have been chosen, we need to tell other people that they too have been chosen because Jesus chose the cross. And so my friends, in a second, we're going to pray. We're going to take communion after, this, after we worship for a bit. But my prayer is that the Spirit would fall on this place, fall on you at home, and let you know that you are loved, you are chosen, because Jesus chose the cross for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I thank you for this moment of just remembering how much you love us. Despite our faults and our failures, all the things that we've done, Father, you love us deeply. And I pray, God, that as we consider this idea of being chosen, that we would then realize that because we've been chosen, we need to tell others that they have been chosen. But it begins by us embracing you, Jesus, in our life. Remembering that you saw us as your joy as you were being murdered and executed on a cross, but that you love us. So God, I pray that that truth would resonate in all of our spirits and all of our hearts right now as we prepare our hearts to commune with you and that we would choose you because you have chosen us. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. This is all for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week on the Crossroads Grace podcast. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. If you are interested in getting involved in our community or want to find out more information, visit us online at crossroadsgrace.org. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Grace podcast.